comfort everybody. Amen. I like these new monitors you got. Hallelujah. Amen. A little more. Hallelujah. We got a special signal going between us here. He knows what I'm talking about. The way you get sound men to turn stuff up is you be nice to them. They have the power of life or death in their hands. If you wanted to turn it up and you're screaming your lungs out and you're mad, you don't say, turn it up, you nitwit. You say, oh, brother, thank you for turning that up. You have to have faith that he's going to do it. It doesn't always work. Well, um, if you have your Bibles, open them with me, if you would. Two portions of Scripture, one in Luke. That's the second one, chapter 2. You can put your hand there and save the place. Isaiah. Chapter 40. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. I um, don't know how much I'm going to preach to you this morning. But by the grace of God, I am going to talk to you. I'm going to talk specifically, well, it applied to everybody, but I'm going to talk specifically, God willing, to the first apostolic Pentecostal church of Plaster Rock, New Brunswick, Canada. Um, and I do believe I have a word from the Lord for this church. And um, I'll do my best to deliver it to you. Isaiah chapter 40, this is a familiar portion of scripture, but it's important. Verse 28, hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Now that's the basis for the next three verses. The foundation for the next three verses is that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. And you can't find the ends of his understanding. That's the foundation out of which 29, 30, and 31 comes. He giveth power to the faint, to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord of verse 28. They that wait upon the Lord of verse 28 shall renew their strength. We're not just waiting on any Lord. We're waiting on the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, who fainteth not, neither is weary, nor is there any finding the ends of his understanding. That's the Lord we wait on. Those that do that renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. 
They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, which indicates that there's a way for you and I to live our Christian life and do God's work and Christian ministry without exhaustion. And that is an important secret for you and I to tap into. Probably none of us have it mastered, but collectively as a church, as a local church right here, you, this church, and you guessed this would apply to your church also, and to all of us preachers, that is an important secret that there's a way to do work without exhaustion. And um, I pray that God will help us this morning to discover how to do this. Would you pray with me? In the next few minutes, the Lord will touch us. Jesus, let your spirit anoint our lips to speak and our ears to hear. May the word of God go forth with anointing, with power. Oh, God, we love you. We praise you. Hallelujah. Now you may be seated. Leave your Bible open. We'll get to Luke in a little bit. Take another look at verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, and there is no searching of his understanding? This passage of Scripture seeks to expand our understanding of God. The psalmist David was a master at this process of expansion, of stretching our understanding of God. And the way that David did that is that repeatedly he would give us the exhortation to magnify the Lord. That's a scriptural phrase, to magnify the Lord. Everybody said, magnify the Lord. And to magnify the Lord, if you think about it for a little while, it's like I put on these glasses and they magnify those words. They make them larger. And so how can we magnify a God that the Word itself says, He's the creator of the ends of the earth, He's the everlasting God, and there's no searching of His understanding. If He's a God that big, how can we magnify Him? Well, the truth is, is, us putting on magnifying lens does not change the size of God in His real essence. It changes the size of God in our view. And the presupposition to that is that we have the tendency as human beings to, if we don't cultivate magnification, we have a tendency for reduction. We pull things down. We make them smaller. There is in the process of the of the natural uh, cycles of the earth, what science calls entropy. Entropy is the process of things running down. Everything in earth has a natural tendency to go down, to run down, to wear down. And, uh, and, and it will. Even the Bible uses a phrase somewhere in the New Testament that talks about things which perish with the using. There is this tendency in everything. There is, there, it's, it's a natural deal, and there's natural laws involved, which reveal the eternal laws. This applies to our understanding of God and our walk with God. 
if we do not pray on a regular basis, if we do not seek God daily, if we do not worship and periodically and regularly break through to speaking in other tongues, if we do not, which the Bible calls praying in the Spirit. Now, I don't know what all of your denominal friends call speaking in tongues, but the Bible calls it praying in the Spirit. And building up your most holy faith, Jude says, praying in the Holy Ghost. Are you glad the Spirit can speak through us? Groanings and utterings and things we don't even know what we're praying for, but the Spirit in us knows what it's praying for. Oh, let's praise Him again. Hallelujah. And so this process is essential that we stretch ourselves. It's the same with our muscles. My father's 90 years old. He lives by himself. He built himself a little house. When I say little, I mean very little. It's 12 by 24. That's the whole house. And it originally was going to be his garage when he and my mother moved there uh, 15 years ago or so, and she got sick, and he had to take care of it, and he never built the rest. He just made a house out of it. He's a funny man, strange man. He's, he's eccentric. Uh, I told him on the drywall on the walls, or, or whatever you call it up here, what? Gyp rock? Uh, yeah, the gyp rock on the walls. Uh, he, he taped it, and he never finished it. I said, I, I said, Dad, I got guys in my church. I'll have them come up here and paint this for you. He said, I don't want it painted. I said, why don't you want it? He said, if I want to paint it, I'll paint it myself. Okay. Sorry for asking. His floor is just raw concrete, no carpet, no tile. I said, I'll buy it for you. Let's get a floor covering on it. He said, I don't have no floor covering. I said, okay, okay, however you want it. Some guy broke in on him the other night. Uh, well, it's been a little while back now. Some drug addict kicked his door down in the middle of the night, and he had a little uh, gun up above his bed. And um, he loves God, but, you know, he's got some guns and... I don't know if that matches or not, but when you're 90 years old, I guess do whatever you want. Guy broke in. He got up, reached up, and got that gun. And the guy ran over to the bed and took it away from him before he could shoot it. Well, and pointed at him and said, get out of that bed or I'm going to kill you. And um, so he got out of the bed, and the guy said, go sit down in the corner. And he said, no, I ain't going to sit down in the corner. And the guy said, you want me to kill you? He said, no, but I ain't sitting down in the corner. And the guy said, why not? He said, because I got arthritis and it hurts too bad to get up. I said, well, Daddy could have killed you. He said, well, I knew there was no, he said, that was my gun, and I knew there was no bullet in the barrel. It was all in the magazine. He said, he didn't know that, but I knew it. Hallelujah. Funny old man. But I told him, and those, that leg that's got arthritis in the knee in the wintertime, it really hurts, and some of you probably understand that better than I do, and I hope you always understand it better than I do, because I don't want that to happen. But, um, but I said, well, what can you do about this? And he said, well, the doctor said if I'd walk and stretch it, he said it would, it would help to exercise it, stretch it, pull it back out. Keep it from atrophying. Exercise. Do a little bit. I said, why don't you do it? He said, I don't want to do it. I said, okay, hurt. Whatever you want to do. But you have to stretch it. There, there's this, and in the process of knowing God, there is this magnification process.
process. Jesus, when he gave us the Lord's Prayer, he said, Our Father which art, well, in the King James it says, Our Father which art in heaven. But that is not what it says in, in, in the Greek. It says, Our Father which art in the heavens. It's very clearly plural, heavens. Our Father which art in the heavens. The very first thing we do when we pray, according to Jesus, is we don't start out by saying, Oh, God, forgive me of my sins. Or we don't start out by saying, Oh, God, bless the church, my wife, my husband, and all the lists that I pray for every day. And we don't start out by saying, Oh, God, keep your hand upon me today. And we don't start out by praying, for, Oh, God, help the leaders of the church and the kingdom today. All of those are important things. We start out by magnifying God. Our Father, which art in the heavens, uh, we, we begin to expand ourselves. God, before I ask you for anything, I want to I wanna re-impress upon my mind who I'm talking to, that there's nothing you can't do, that my problems are minuscule. They're nothing compared to your power to answer them. Yeah, man, some of you sitting here feel like your problems are getting bigger. It's because your magnifying glass is getting smaller. You need to take it and magnify God. The more you magnify God, the smaller the problems get. The more you reduce God, the bigger the problems get. It's one or the other. Keep magnifying God and your problems stay manageable. And they resolve. some of them dissolve into nothingness because you're magnifying God. And that's where the strength comes from to mount up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Let's praise Him again. When you're praying like that, you see things different. In the Old Testament, the Bible talks about seers. Eventually, they started calling them prophets. But in olden time, I think it's Samuel that says they were called seers. To see. They are ones who could see where others could not see. One place uh, that we often quote in the church is in Proverbs where it says, without a vision the people perish. Without a vision, the people perish. One translation of that says, without a seer, the people wander aimlessly. They wander directionless. How many churches do you know today who are wandering directionless? They don't know what to do. They have dead church services because they're not focused they have, they have no sense of goals or orientation of God's mandate on them as a body. They have no concept that they are destined by God to do specific and important things in the earth. And consequently, the people wander aimlessly. It's like a river with no banks. It becomes a marsh. It breeds mosquitoes and, and, and malaria and all kinds of diseases because there is no focus, there is no vision, there is no direction to them. They don't have a concept of this. Yet, when you look in the Bible, you constantly find that these people who were anointed of God, and you are anointed of God, it wouldn't take five minutes for a preacher or a saint of God who's known the Lord any length of time to come in here and know whether you're anointed of God. And you are anointed of God. In the Bible, one of the most outstanding traits of those that were anointed of God is that they had this expanded vision. They could see what other people could not see. And they could, they could sense what other people could not sense. A leader of a congregation has to have this. A leader of a family has to have this. God doesn't expect us to wander on slavishly, just, just day by day, slogging through life. Uh, but God lifts us up like the eagle 
above. He catches us on the thermals. That's, that's how an eagle soars. I'm not going to give you a big eagle lesson this morning. I don't have time to do all of that and say what I want to say to you. But, but an eagle soars. The way he soars is that he finds the areas in the earth where there is heat from whatever reason. A big garbage dump or, 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 or a, a rainforest where it's humid or, or whatever it may be where there are, there are upward movements of hot air. And as that air is moving upward, uh, that eagle will find his place on top of that. He doesn't expend a lot of energy getting up there. He just adjusts his wings. Uh, and if you ever watch him, he just goes higher and higher and higher and higher. Listen, I want to tell you something. I don't know. You know what they, they say? They say a criminal mind, a criminal mind is often a mind that has a great fear of being bored. A criminal mind is they cannot stand boredom because they, they end up getting in trouble all the time. They've always got to have something going on. Well, I want to tell you, first of all, I'm glad I'm saved because I hate boredom. And I know you're going to have some nothing days, but I don't want too many of them. I want, I want, I want to find out how this thing works. Uh, the church I pastor, as far as I'm concerned, is a big laboratory. I mean, this Bible's 2,000 years old, and I'm trying to take truths out of it and extrapolate them into life 2,000 years later, where people speak a different language, wear different clothes, wear different shoes, have different customs, uh, have a whole different technological uh, 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 structure. Uh, the whole construct is different, and I'm supposed to take this. I wasn't even back there. I was just born a few years ago. I'm supposed to take this and make this work in the earth. How can it be anything but a laboratory? How can it be anything except say, God, I read your word and I believe it'll work. I'm going to step out here on the edge and see if this thing happens. After all, I've only got one life. Some of you need to get the revelation. You've only got one life. Quit living it so riskless. Quit living it so fearful. Quit living it like you're afraid to do anything. Let's get out on the raw edge of this thing and say we're going to bring revival. We're going to turn our world upside down. We're going to do it by the grace of God. I read about a I read a about a poll or heard about a poll that was taken among old people that were in rest homes, and uh, they polled these people, all of those that still they had their faculties, and they said, "What would you do different if you had your life to live over? What do you, what would you do, and what do you regret the most?" And one of the things I don't remember there was three things, but I, the top three, one of them I don't remember, but the other two I do remember. One of them was I'd give more time to the afterlife. Thank God we're doing that to consideration of what's going to happen in the afterlife. But the other thing that I remember that they said was, one of the top things among them was, if I had my life to live over, I would take more risks. I wouldn't be as bound by fear. I would expand and try things. And so it relates here. The eagle's eyes three or four times is as acute as a human eye, they believe at least. And it's got a couple spots on it that when the eagle's looking through those particular spots, one goes horizontal, one goes forward, one goes sideways, one goes forward. And when they're looking through that, they can see a rabbit up to two miles away on the ground running. And they, there's, a, there's a combination of things that happens to us to get to that point. We get up high. We, we, we don't use all of our energy to get there. This is the challenge for us. We have to find a way to get there without wasting all of our energy. We have to get up high where we can see things from a perspective that is through the lens of God because God sees from on high. When you're looking at it in the middle of it, it's like you guys that have businesses. When you look at them and you're in the middle of it, you see it altogether different. It's kind of a frenetic and high-pressure situation. But if you can get out of that place for a while 
and you can get away somewhere where your mind can ascend above that thing and look down on it, solutions come. Solutions at home to the church I pastor have come since I've been here. The church that I pastor doesn't know it. Uh, well, mo a lot of them do know it because they've been with me for years, but, but, but others don't know that it's important for them not to complain when I'm gone because it's when I'm gone invariably that I get answers of what we're supposed to do next and how we're supposed to do it. It's not that I go off and sit under a tree and say, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? In fact, it's just the opposite. When I'm away, I'm, I'm in a different atmosphere. I'm in a different world. You, you brethren understand what I'm saying. And, and, and all of a sudden, I may be reading the newspaper or doing some other inane thing, but out of the midst of that, all of a sudden, it just goes click, click, click. I, I've got great revelations reading the newspaper. Not from reading the newspaper, though. I remember sitting in a motel one time and got a revelation while I was reading the newspaper and put it down. I said, honey, I just got it. She said, got what? I mean, like the measles or something? No, I just got it. And put the newspaper down the road. Having powerful things that come. I want to tell you, you that want your pastor to be, and I don't know anything about church here, and I haven't talked to him about this, so it's probably not a case here. And, and, and I'm sure in Plaster Rock there wouldn't be anybody except perfect people anyway. But, but you, that, you that say, I want our pastor to do 8 to 5. I want our pastor, I want him here at 8 o'clock in the morning. I want him to make sure the school's running right. I want him to make sure the carpet's vacuumed. I want him to make sure the leaves are raked. I want him to make sure the toilets are clean. I want, you know what you're going to end up? You're going to end up with a janitor. I went and did a funeral at a Lutheran church. <clears throat> I said that before I thought about it, but that's what it was anyway. I went and the pastor was there, and, and, and it was some of our people that had rented the church, and there was a little bench about this long. It wasn't a, really a pew, it was just a little bench on the platform. And they said, we want to move this bench. And so I said, well, move the bench. It's no big deal. So they took the bench and moved it. And the pastor was in the back. He had on his janitor shoes and his janitor kind of outfit. And he ran to the front and he said, I'm the pastor. You can't move that bench without the board's permission. I mean, it was not, I mean, I'm, look, folks, I'm not exactly, it was like, it was like taking this chair and say, this chair's in the way. Let's move it right here until the wedding's over. The guy went berserk because, because he's just a hireling janitor. That church will never know what revival is. Uh, 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 an eagle cannot live in a chicken pen. And I want to tell you, it makes a lot of difference whether your leader knows what he's doing, and it makes a lot of difference if you understand what I'm saying here this morning, and you let him get up there where he gets... He, he, it just I can't even tell you how it comes to a person. It just comes to him, and he senses, and he knows... Here is the path that we're supposed to go. Sometimes it's a week-long path. Sometimes it's a year-long path. Sometimes it's a 20-year plan path. Uh, whatever. But it comes. And when it, you can't get that unless you're riding the thermals. If you're flapping your wings uh, and you're doing everything you can just to stay in the air and, you're, and, you're, and, you're, and everything is just frenetic like a sparrow, then you're not going to have revival around here. You're going to have chickens pecking each other on the head. You've got to have the thermals. You've got to have people that get up in the thermals and say, God, give us the high places. Listen, there's a lot of things I don't know, but brother, I know what I'm talking about this morning. I can't fix your car, but I know about this stuff. Oh, Jesus. Gehazi says, well, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. Elisha says, oh, put the pinto beans on, will you? It's time to eat supper. What are we going to do? We're surrounded. <laughs> Gehazi. Is the coffee on yet? 
<laughs> yeah, but I can't even think because we're surrounded. We don't have a chance. You see, he was on the ground. Elisha was a seer. He, he was up somewhere flying around. When you talk to your pastor, sometimes he acts like he's got a loose screw and he's not quite listening to you. He's up there flying around. That's right. So it becomes down once in a while, but I mean. But Elijah, what are we going to do? God, would you, would you open his eyes? Would you give him a vision? Of the way things really are. Because they're not like they appear. And his eyes get opened. He says, my God, there is no need to fear except fear the Lord. Look at this army. Always expanded vision. The people couldn't see what Moses could see. And therefore the people griped and complained and gossiped. And were filled with nattering nabobs of negativism. To quote Spiro Agnew. And they didn't know what to do, where to go. Griped about the food. Griped. Brother Bass told us all about these people and, and all the stuff God provided with them. And they griped the whole time. But you know what? Even people that don't have vision would rather follow a man with vision than a man without vision. Because, honey, they could have packed up and went back to Egypt any time they wanted to. But they didn't because something held them. They knew this man had a vision even though they were griping like mad. They knew that. And they, hang, they hung. People will hung, hang with a man that has a vision. People will stay with the vision because they sense. Intuitively, they sense uh, that I've got to have vision to even exist. Flying up here. I had a young man visit our church one time. He's a pastor's son. He went home. To his pastor and they had a good-sized church and ours was growing the church was probably about the same size we were having revival and uh, he went home and he told his dad he said dad he said we are working ourselves silly around here he said brother Wilson don't do nothing he said he just kind of fools around he said, Dad, you make us get up more every morning at 6 o'clock. We pray. <laughs> we go to the church. We run all day long. And he said, they're growing faster than we are. And they don't do anything. Well, he didn't quite understand. But what he didn't understand is, is that we're like the proverbial duck. On the surface, we look calm and unruffled. Underneath, we're paddling like crazy. But there is a truth to that. You watch the eagle all day long. It soars, it soars, it soars. It'll light on a perch. And it'll stay there for an hour, two hours, seeming like it's doing nothing. You know, there's an ebb and flow to life. I want to get this across. i got a lot to say, and I'm not going to get it all. So let's just take part of it and get it right. There's an ebb and flow to life. There's a rhythm to life. There's a rhythm that a church has to find and move in. The, Paul said nature teaches us things. There's a rhythm to nature. Right now, the, it's raining again. Heavenly days. But, but there's, a, 
we're in spring, where it springs forward, and summer it flowers out and fall. That's why we call it spring forward and fall back. And in, and in fall, it falls back and the leaves fall off. And in winter, it goes into the winter of, of silence and of death. And then the cycle starts over again. Nature's teaching us that there, are, there, are, there is a cyclical pattern that people get, that visionary people get in. Uh, it, it's, seen, it's seen in the ocean. It, it ebbs, it flows in and it ebbs out. The flow, when it comes to human beings, the, the assertiveness is called masculinity. The receptivity is called femininity. And, and this flow is seen all through life. Our bodies go through cycles. If you take a calendar and mark it, you would find sometimes of, uh, of every 30 days or so we're sharper than we are. Other times, doesn't matter, men or women both. And, and, and there's a, there is a flow to everything. You can just about name anything. There's a flow to preaching. There's a flow to preaching. This is an easy church to preach in because you may not even know it, but you have, you have learned the art of preaching a preacher. And that's a critical art. A preacher can be anointed from God and not get one thing done. A preacher has to have more than an anointing from God. A preacher has to have the anointing of the people. If he didn't have the anointing of the people, he's dead even though he may give a message from God. And between he and the people, there is a flow that is established. Uh, he, he, he takes the, the assertiveness uh, and, he, and he propels it out with the Word of God. The seed of God is planted into the earth uh, and the people throw it back to him with their amens or their nods of assent or their spirit that says, yes, I appreciate that. And that reinforces and he throws it again. Uh, and it begins to work back and forth like a piston in an engine. And it, Have you ever seen it? The place a preacher can come to while he's preaching until people in their pew, it gets so powerful until it comes to a point of explosion where people get up. I've seen them where they get up out of their seat with no altar call and stagger to the altar like they're shot with a rifle because there is such a flow, such an anointing that pulls people into it. Every revival church has that. Did you hear what I said? Every revival church has that flow. It's a basic ingredient where somebody has seen this is the way it has to be. You can rest assured, invariably, 99 times out of 100, if there's a great preacher, it's because he pastors great people. It's because he pastors people that's learned the art of reinforcing. They've learned the nature of things and how they work and, and how this is. And, and that the preacher has to have freedom and latitude. You ever see a preacher get up and he's afraid to preach without reading every word off his notes? It may be a powerful message, but it won't be powerful to you. Because there's no soaring to it. It's clamped down. He can't get out of it. Uh, that means he ought to go back and study it some more until he knows it well enough. Uh, until it's a part of him. Until it's internalized enough that he can just get up and preach about it. And, and let the flow of God come free. One of the things preachers have to tell themselves when they come in the pulpit uh, is that I'm here to preach the Word of God. Uh, I must have latitude in a way. With, I don't even know how to ex explain this. Uh, but in a way, he pushes everybody back and says, get away from me. Give me room. Uh, don't put pressure on me. I'm going to preach the Word of God. I'm not going to let you run over me. And if he doesn't have any anointing and you're in an anointed church, the church will run right over him. They'll flow over him and say, my God, I can't preach here. There's too much water coming at me. He has to know that I've got to get that under control and let that thing work in here. It'll bring sinners in. It'll knock them dead. They can't live in a place like that without responding. Oh, let's clap our hands and praise him. Hallelujah.
I want to tell you, it's, when, it, when it's operating that way, it's exciting. It is fulfilling. God did not mean for our communion with Him to be a long series of, of vapid uh, uh, exercises and, and, and a dead level mechanical and spiritless employment. God intended for us to flow. God intends for this church to take over this whole area. God intends for this church to be the leading church in New Brunswick. I'm not talking through my hat. I know what I'm talking about in the spirit. God intends for this church to be stretched. God, I'm talking about this local church. God intends for this church to build a new auditorium. God intends for this church to reach out. God intends for this drama to get ten times better than it is. And people bring busloads of people all over New Brunswick to come here and hear a dramatized sermon by these young people. You haven't reached the apex. You haven't even got, got started to what God wants to do in this place. And God wants to bring joy and smiles to the older people who know that they've held here strong for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and held on. God wants them to smile as they watch the hundreds and hundreds of people come in this church and find God while this church soars into the atmosphere and into the rare air of great experiences with God. Oh, let's praise Him again. Hallelujah! I tell our church at home, like I told you, it's a new church. Probably two-thirds of the people have no generation in Pentecost. And, and it's not happening like I want it to, but it's happening. January 51 got the Holy Ghost, and February 28 got the Holy Ghost in March. I didn't keep track. This month, I don't know how many's got the Holy Ghost, but I expect there to be at least 15 or 20 this week. There's already seven, I think, when I get home. I won't be home, will I? Somebody better do it without me. This Sunday. That will. Yeah, that's right. Put them on automatic pilot. It's like T.W. Barnes said one time. He said he was away from his church and he was praying. Oh, God, take care of the church while I'm gone. He said God spoke to him and said, Who do you think takes care of it while you're there? Listen, I could drive myself crazy worrying about what's happening at home. Turn the tape off for just a minute, will you, brother? I could be up here saying, oh, God. Oh, God. What's going to happen while I'm gone? <laughs> People's going to get mad that I'm not there. <laughs> oh, God, did anybody mow the lawn? Oh, God. Did anybody turn the water off? Did anybody clean the toilets? Did anybody? What about God? Is anybody going to do right while I'm gone? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. you got your churches in such perfection. Yes, right. You know what? I haven't done that. I go to bed up here while Daniel sleeps on the floor and Damon, I sleep in their bed. I go to bed and I say, God, hope they're all doing all right. Good night, everybody. Forget it. I can't handle it anyway. All I can do is soar up here and not let anybody bring me down. Now, I, oh, God, have mercy. There's so much. To, the, a, a lot of eagles. Did you know a lot of eagles never get past the first year of their life? 
A young person says, ha ha, a young preacher, I'm going to be an eagle, glory to God, I'm going to fly, baby, fly. And they don't nest in right places. They run with the wrong people. They, they nest with the wrong thoughts in their minds. Garbage. One of my young preachers went out of my church and got with some other preachers that wanted to yeah, 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 yeah about other preachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah about me. Yeah, yeah. He called me one day and I felt his spirit different over the phone. I felt a little coolness. I said, I want to ask you, son, who you've been talking to and what have you been talking about? Well, I've been talking about well, Brother Wilson, the... the, the uh, did they talk about me? Well, uh, yeah, uh, they said if, if they would like to write a letter and, and, and put me all over the country on weekend crusades as to the great guy that got delivered from sin and so forth. I said, that's fine. Send me the letter before you send it out. Oh, well, uh, he, he, may, well he may not want to do that. Send me the letter! Got to straighten that out. He's not going to be an eagle if he's running with, with buzzards. You know the difference between an eagle and a buzzard? You know, buzzards are ball-headed. Well, not you guys, but boy. Am I ever in trouble now? I knew I should have quit. I got one back there waving his hand. I feel better. Put that rifle down back there, buddy. You know, God made some men perfect, and then he made others with imperfections, had to cover them up with hair. I made it even right there. Now, where was I? Oh, yeah, buzzards are bald. But all bald are not buzzards. Buzzards fly in and land on dead things that are bloated up. Peck, peck. Peck, peck, peck. Peck, peck, peck. <laughs> and then they slop around in that stuff. Then they, they take their head and stick it down in there. In that rot. I've wondered if it didn't rot the hair off their head. <laughs> Do you know chickens? If you put chickens in a pen, any of you got chickens? Some of you probably have chickens. If you put chickens in a tight pen, ah, chickens up here die of the cold, wouldn't they? But if, if you put chickens in a dark, uh, dark, in a small pen, they'll peck each other on the head. Well, Brother Jones got to play the drums tonight instead of me. Sister Susie played the instruments and got to help lead the singing instead of me. Why don't my kids ever get to do anything? Peck, 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 peck. So-and-so got promoted to be a Sunday school teacher in a job that I wanted, and I think they're the 47th cousin of the McKillips, and so it's just a family deal anyway. Peck, 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 peck. Whoa, I felt that one hang up while we were trolling. Whoa, I caught something right there. That snagged. Peck, 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 peck. But here's one little ugly bird that doesn't seem to fit in the pen. And one day as he gets older, 
the other chicken, he comes back, the other chickens say, you're going to get in trouble for that. You're going to get in trouble for that. You better not be flying high. I know people that flew high and they failed. Well, I know people that flew low and failed. And I knew people that flew so low that their whole life was a failure, so they never failed. They just were one. Look, at some point, folks, if the gospel's going to get to the whole world, somebody has to fly. Somebody has to fly. And somebody says to this little eagle, says, You're going to get up there and fall and kill yourself. Well, I want to tell you, if you stay in the pen, you're just going to be a drumstick in somebody's frying pan. You might, you're going to die one way or the other. You might as well die flying. You might as well get out and start soaring and say, as a church, we're going to move up on the front edge of what's going on in New Brunswick. I never did get to Luke. I never got halfway through this, but I'm quitting. But I want to tell you this before I quit. No. You preach. <laughs> but I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. This church, this church, you know, this church has got... I know you think you're already doing pretty good, and you are compared to your brethren, but the Bible says it's unwise to compare yourselves among yourselves. This church if it would just take another couple steps, is going to break into an area that's going to scare you. And some of you are going to say, that's too scary. God. God. One scripture. Luke 2. One scripture. One scripture. Luke 1. Luke 1. Luke 1. Verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias. Everybody said Zacharias. Zacharias. Of the course of Abai and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. Everybody said Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Now notice this. Verse 6. They were both righteous before God. And so is this church. They were both walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. And so is this church. They were both blameless. And so is this church. But they had no child. Being righteous, blameless, walking in the ordinances, and walking in the commandments doesn't mean you're automatically going to have children. The mother was barren. End of verse 7. And they were both well now stricken in years. 63rd convention. And there appeared, verse 11, unto Zacharias, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he saw him. Everybody said he saw him. Zacharias saw him. Look at verse 22. When he came out, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision. We're talking about vision. You have to have vision. He had seen 
a vision. Now there is a, what they call a dialectic between, uh, Luke uses dialectics all the time. It's his way, one of his ways. There's a dialectic here. This is the same chapter that the same angel appears to Mary and announces the birth of Jesus. Listen to this. Here's the parallel. This is the dialectic. Over here you have Zacharias and Elizabeth and Gabriel comes and announces to him what I just read to you. And, and Zacharias cannot believe it. He says, that cannot be true. This cannot be happening. And because he doesn't believe the vision, he is left speechless. Before that, he had anointed speech. But now, he doesn't have anointed speech. Because if you get a vision from God, and you don't follow it, that the anointing of preaching will die in proportion to a church's obedience to the vision. And if the vision is not followed, Zacharias says, I'm scared! I can't! He knew nobody was supposed to be in the holy place when that vision came. He knew nobody could walk in there but him. And he was the priest in the high order to do that that day. And here is somebody in there trespassing in the place he's been. He's been doing this for 40 years and never seen a vision. But now, on Saturday morning of this conference, could it be that God is saying, you've worked to this point. The time has come. All things have conspired and come to a synthesis where I am talking to you about vision, Plaster Rock, on a level that you have never seen before. Not condemning the past, just leading to where we are. And if it is not followed, then the vision will cause the anointing to dissipate. Listen, there is no stagnant... He said, I don't want to run anymore because he said, it's just more trouble. Let me tell you, now he's running less. You can't get to a point and say, it's not that way. That's not the way life is. And besides that, when people are going to hell, that's too great a price to have, to have a small, smug, smarmy church. You don't own this church. I don't own this church. This is God's church. And we have a mission. We're sent into the world to convert sinners and propagate the gospel. And there's resistance to that. I don't mean just from you. From all of us, there's resistance. And this dialectic between resistance and acceptance is found throughout the Bible. Jonah had a vision of what a people could become, but he resisted. We have a tendency to resist. No, God. We've got it fixed the way we want it. I, I don't want to change it, God. There's resistance to it. 
Same angel appears. There's resistance if you're in the UPC. There's resistance in districts. If you're out of the UPC, there's resistance among other brethren of like precious faith who say that, that preach against revival. You probably had them up here. I don't know. But I want to tell you, people that preach against revival are not wise. What do you think God sent us into this world for? To be failures? Maybe you, brother, but not me. I'm sent that people may know the joy of the Lord and that their joy may be full through the propagation of the gospel. And Zacharias has this vision. And what we have here is what happens to an 80-year-old man that's got used to this stuff? Oh, Brother Wilson, I've heard people preach that way before. Seniority in Pentecost. In our little wild bunch at home, when I see somebody coming from professional Pentecostal churches, from areas of, uh, of Pentecost that have become calcified in their ways and smug and half-backslid, I'm going to be honest with you. I tell our church right up front, when you see those kind of people coming, brother, I want you to know, you can tell them even if it's your relatives, I don't want them here. I don't want any of that stuff that's already backslid. Death's already setting in. Their blood already runs pink instead of red. Their passion's already dissipated. I want people that they're, they're red hot. These people are ready to attack hell with a bucket of water. And I don't want them to understand that other people's caught up in fashion and caught up in who's who and caught up in all the other junk instead of following revival to the ends of the earth. And then here's a 14-year-old girl, which is what they estimate Mary was. And she has the same angel come and give the same message. Dialectic. Same chapter. This guy, Zacharias, was a leading order of the priest. Been doing this for years. He's terrified of the vision. He knows that this is impossible. He said, what? Can we do that? Elizabeth is old. We can't do this. He said, man, we've been praying for a son for 40 years. That's a 40-year-old request. We don't even think about that stuff anymore. It's just, I wish this morning, I, I pray this morning that this can grip your heart. When I say this church can lead New Brunswick, I'm not talking about among apostolics. I'm talking about New Brunswick citizens. I'm talking about God wants to raise this church up. You have to have a, a pastor that's got enough sense to screw a nut on a bolt to do what I'm talking about. And you have one. And all of you that wander around and say, well, I, you know, if he's gone, we'll get somebody else. You better watch your mouth, brother and sister. I want to tell you, you can get somebody to come in here and wreck this thing and mess your kids up quicker than you can say Jack Frost. You better thank God for the man of God and the woman of God and his kids that live for God. I know pastors' wives that don't even go to church half the time. I know pastors' kids, it's the biggest devils there are. You better thank God that his wife lives for God and is an example. That his kids live for God and are an example. You better shut your criticizing mouth and get behind the ministry and get behind the church and get behind the brethren and get behind the sisters and say, God, let the vision come true. Let the vision come true. Come on, let's clap our hands and praise him.
Holy Ghost is here today. I said the Holy Ghost is here today. Let's stand up and clap our hands and praise Him together. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Listen to me. If for some of you this is a little harsh, I don't mean to be harsh, but I want to tell you something. If you have a little resistance, remember this. Zacharias had a boy. He was the son of resistance. He was born out of resistance. But that's not all bad because resistance always precedes acceptance. In fact, it announces that something's coming. It always goes through resistance number one, tolerance number two, acceptance number three. Listen, you've got to get this sanctuary built. You may not even be talking about I'm telling you, church. If, if, if Brother Jeff and these kids and these others keep working on this drama, I know it was good. But I want to tell you, it was, it was tremendous. It can be a hundred times better. And this church can be a hundred times better. And I can be a hundred times better. And we can be a hundred times more powerful. And I can carry a hundred times more than I'm carrying right now. Oh, Brother Wilson, I carry so much I just can't. Oh, baloney. I mean, that's Greek. It's not how much I'm carrying it. It's do I know how to carry it by getting in the thermals. They shall mount up. They shall walk. They shall run and not be weary. I want to drive a sense of urgency into you. That this needs to be done. People will be getting chartered buses to come here to see the drama and hear the story. You know what a drama is? All it is is a, is a sermon acted out. That's all it is. When those kids are doing this and the Holy Ghost is on them and that choir is singing and the Holy Ghost is here, brother, if you don't believe that the Holy Ghost was here, you, you just, you'd, you'd have been dead. We're not going drama crazy. We're just talking about one more method whereby we get people in the door. A non-threatening, non-confrontational way that you can tell your friends, come on, come on down. There's another no preaching tonight. They say, oh, wonderful, I'll come. But they don't know we're trolling. And they're going to be back because they're going to like it. And we're going to treat them so many ways they're going to love it. And they're going to feel the love of God. You say, well, they may be Catholics. They may be Baptists. They may be Lutherans. They may be Presidents. They may be New Agers. They may be in witchcraft. They may be... Hey, well, look, we don't, we don't care what they are. We only care what they're fixing to be. This Sunday morning, we're going to have a wedding. Oh, wait. Is this a 15th? God have mercy. How am I going to do that? I'm not even going to be there. That's a problem. Remind me. I've got to call home. <laughs> but we just had a wedding about three weeks ago. We have it during church on Sunday morning. It's people that have been shacking up. And they come into church like the one I just did two weeks ago. The girl come in and got the Holy Ghost Tuesday morning in a ladies' prayer meeting. Went home and told her shack up mate. Said, hey, look, I can't sleep with you anymore. I got the Holy Ghost. And we're not married. No, we didn't teach you that. But the Holy Ghost teaches people. 
If it wouldn't have, then it would have used us to do it, but it already did it. Her husband looked at her and said, What kind of stupid church is that? Started raving and ranting. He came Wednesday night and he got the Holy Ghost. And his little girl got the Holy Ghost. And then he comes to me and says, Hey, Pastor, this ain't a good deal. We gotta get married. I said, good. When you want to do it? As quick as we can. I said, good. Next Sunday morning. Come on. Go get your marriage license. They got it. Sunday morning during church. I said, now we, we want to treat these people right. Everybody that's in his family. Bring your family. All the family comes. I said, we want all the family on the front row. Places of honor for the wedding. And also places that's real difficult to get out before I preach. Harmless. And so I called him up there. Here they are. He's got hair down to here. He's got a mustache. She's there dressed half decent. And we go through the wedding, and the church knows what's going on because we've done this many times. And, and, and I said, and this is one of the biggest weddings we've ever had in this church. You know, I mean, it's Sunday morning. The place is filled. And, and man, what a crowd came to your wedding. Wow. I go down and meet the grandma. Are you grandma? Well, it's kind of small, but anyway. Yeah. Hello there. You're the mother. Oh, you're the sister. Yeah, the brother. Hey, bud. I always see this guy in the front row. I like him. You got a big smile. Keep it up, freckles. Yeah. And, and I shake hands. Ah, we're glad you're here. This is wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, sweet. Oh, this is great. We're having a great time. Just a bunch of palaver. But people need someone to love them. Somebody comes in this church. You say, well, I got the Holy Ghost, and they need the Holy Ghost. Bless God, if they want it, they can have it. When you go to a restaurant, they don't just take raw steak and slap it on the plate and say, eat it, jerk. Hey, you got to love people. You got Look, you say, but I'm timid. We're all timid, can't you tell? A lot of timidity is self-preservation. Afraid to be vulnerable. And so we marry them. And after we marry them, we worship. And they all feel the love of God. And Grandma's crying and their other's crying. And we say, Grandma, all of you come up here and give them a hug. And then while I'm singing some song and the church is singing, people just kind of get out of their pews and come up and start shaking hands. How you doing? Welcome to the rock. We're glad you're here. Says, hey, these people, they've been out snorting coke. They've been out doing gross stuff. They don't have a big circle. Here's, here's a whole hundreds of people just mobbing them. They can't get that in the world. Hey, we got that. Why don't we use it? And then, then we arrange it where before grandma can get out of there. And today we're reading from the word of God. You ain't leaving, baby. I'm going to hit you with the word of God, both barrels. And before it's over, a bunch of them's in the altar that morning. Got another one this Sunday. What am I going to do about that? Can you fly out and do it? Ah, man, this is a, it really is a problem. I forgot all about it. But, but I want to tell you, that is precisely what God wants us to be doing. Loving. Caring. Your pastor's capable of running New Brunswick. Your pastor's capable of being the governor of New Brunswick. What do they call him? Huh? Premier, eh? 
He's capable of being the premier. He could do it. I'm telling you, I'm not blowing smoke. He could do it. He could do what whoever Big Britches is here in Canada. He could do it. But he, he, he doesn't have time to step down to do that because he's pastoring the greatest church in New Brunswick. That's not almost true. That's true. Come on, church. Let's get past resistance, past tolerance. God, whatever you want for us. Mary said, according to thy word. It's in there. You can read it. According to thy word. She's going to get criticized. Who's going to believe that it's like she said? I mean, I had a woman tell me one time that this, I have this baby of the Holy Ghost. I didn't believe her. said, I haven't known a man. I, the Holy Ghost is on. This is conceived the Holy Ghost. I said, sis, go away. <laughs> Who's going to believe her? According to thy word. Oh, but we don't want to be criticized. Uh, yeah, right. According to thy word. Are we ready, church? I believe you are. I believe you're sitting on the edge of something. I'm not pumping you up just to blow a big bunch of hot air out here. I am telling you that God's hand is on this church to become the leading light in this province. And I pray that that gets in your soul. And that we say, we're going to follow you, Father. And you know what? When John the Baptist was born, his father sang a song after he was born. You read it. Mary sang the song before Jesus was born. Mary didn't have to have it happen before she had faith. She had faith before, and then it happened, and she never went deaf. She never went dumb. She never had all the problems happen that happened to John because she had faith. Let's go ahead and sing the song. Thank you for revival. Thank you for sweeping our city. Thank you for sweeping our province. Thank you for giving us power. Thank you for giving us a pastor. Thank you for giving us leadership. Thank you for blessing us. Let's clap our hands and praise the Lord. Come on, let's love Him.